good morning, ladies and gentlemen, boxing fans around the world. Back for another weekend of boxing. It's certainly not as exciting as the previous weekend of boxing by any means, but we do have a couple of signature fights that I think are worth your time. Of course, it's up to you whether you find them entertaining or not. It does appear like we're past some of the pay-per-view, but what we've heard from the zone, at least, is there's going to be some pay-per-view back in their future. And, of course, they rose to notoriety for claiming the death to pay-per-view and that they the guy was on record saying, you know, we swear we're never going to have a pay-per-view because we don't believe it's the future and we should be able to do it without pay-per-view and we can make this work. And then, of course, they go off and they sign a deal with Canelo Alvarez, the current king of boxing, for like over $300 million, I think it was. And then Gennady Golovkin, I don't know what his number was, but I know he got a pretty bank contract. And then you got guys like, you know, Danny Jacobs, he's on there. I believe Andre was on there to point and so on. And so all these fighters get these big time contracts and then they don't pan out. Like Canelo's the only one that's a draw. And even with Canelo, it's hard for them to pull the people necessary to recoup, but they have to pay the fighters what they want. And of course, Canelo is the cash cow. So the zone has recently come out and said, you know, we're going to, if we get Canelo back on the network to do some of these fights that we want to have, and I believe the names on that side of the aisle would be Bavol and uh, Golovkin. If, if they make that happen, they're going to be pay-per-view fights each. So then you'd have one pay-per-view for Bavol, one pay-per-view for Golovkin, and many people are not happy because they, of course, subscribe to DAZN's sales pitch of $9.99 gets you everything and didn't understand that ultimately it's difficult. It's very difficult to pay people what they want and make that work with just a $9.99 subscription. So I think people looked at the zone the same way they looked at like ESPN plus. Well, ESPN plus was doing pay-per-views too. They ultimately had to bow down to it. It's just the way of it. Then you have the WWE network and WWE network, which I said was a mistake on a separate deal. When I was talking to people on social media, I felt it was a mistake because you're, you're devaluing the product. In the eyes of the people that would subscribe, you're devaluing your product as opposed to that. Like there's a perception that, okay, it's only worth 10 bucks, this fight with Anthony Joshua. Well, think about that for a second. You're saying that it's only worth $10. And the only reason you're doing it is because you're desperate to get more people to do it because it's hard to justify, you know, $50 to $100 for a one evening thing. If we go back to the world of Don King, he didn't have anywhere near this problem, but that's because Don King, if you look at the cards he was putting together, they were stacked almost top to bottom every single time. You didn't have straight scrub fights or blatant mismatches or bum fights and the marketing and the promotion and the gala and the spectacle was off the chain almost every single time to the point that every event was worth the price of admission. Every event was worth when it went to pay-per-view from the tickets Every event was worth the dollars you paid on these things. We're not in that world anymore. We've not been in that world a long time. The world where you can look at a fight card and say, every single fight on this is worth the price of admission. Even when I look at Thurman versus Barrios, like I said, it was a decent event, but it was nowhere close to the heyday of boxing. And you can say that we don't have the same type of fighters, but I, don't, I think it's an excuse. At the end of it, it all goes to the promotion and the gala and the spectacle. Part of it is the loss of Atlantic City, predominantly the loss of Atlantic City for being the fight Mecca, but, and part of it's pandemic. So there are some mitigating factors, but the truth is none of the events really excite people. 
And because they don't excite people, there's no reason for people to justify paying the pay-per-views. Now, the flip of this is when you're charging pay-per-view rates, there's an expectation that the entire event is worth the price of admission. When the truth is, you're really paying the salaries of the main and possibly the co-main only, where everything else is just a bunch of scrub fights. And that's not the way it used to be. And so you have to kind of question. Don King gets criticism, and in some cases rightfully so, for how certain fighters are treated come contract time. You know, the we heard the stories about, and I believe it was, was it Riddick Bo? One of them that said, no, it was Larry Holmes that said, no, if if you wanted to work with King's fighters, there were clauses in the contract that basically committed you to becoming a Don King fighter. And that was really the only way to get a title shot. Well, if you're going after titles, you're basically agreeing to those terms and then committing yourself into a contract. And then I believe it was Buster Douglas said the same thing. And Buster Douglas even said, well, you know, I wasn't really supposed to, they didn't expect me to win that fight against Mike Tyson. But once I won, then there's all sorts of lockup happening and had to go to court and all this. There's that side. But on the flip side, you got to think about how much money was actually generated and how much money some of these fighters did make. Like not every Don King fighter, they certainly didn't get the most they were supposed to get, but they did make some pretty good bank considering the paydays we see now, which are more on the low ball side for the vast majority of fighters. So we have to look at that as a under a magnifying glass and kind of question, okay, well, these big pay-per-views like Thurman Barrios, I think it says about a, a million people. Okay. So then what? 75, $80 a head. Well, that's a lot. Well, where's the rest of that money going? Well, it's, it's not going to the fighters. Of course, the, the paydays are pretty good, but we're not talking, you know, tens of millions of dollars per fighter. So at some point, something got off the rails and they've gone back to recognizing pay-per-view as a reality to pay these top guys what they want. But I, I don't know, I don't fully understand, like with ESPN Plus in particular, it's a great example. They pick and choose when it's pay-per-view and when it's not. I don't think that's the right answer either, because then DAZN is going to copy that model where if it's Canelo, we're going to pay-per-view it, or it's Golovkin, we're going to pay-per-view it. But if it's, you know, Chris Eubank, which he doesn't find on DAZN a lot, but if he did, okay, that's not a pay-per-view. I think you're, you're consistent. Either it is or it isn't. And then just let the chips fall where they may. And then part of this is the loss of HBO, because I think HBO did a better job overall of separating what's truly pay-per-view worthy events versus non-pay-per-view worthy events. And they just got frustrated, I think, with the battling with the paychecks of the fighters. But I think they were the savants of doing it. I think they did it the best. I don't think anybody comes close to the way they were able to do it. And I don't think Showtime, like Showtime is decent, but Showtime struggles, Fox struggles. It's a struggle all across the board. I'm only saying this and having this dialogue to just kind of call out. I recognized years ago, pay-per-view is, it should be. The model for what we do, but the cards don't warrant pay-per-view. But if we made the cards better, then pay-per-view is justified. Part of that is building the fighters, marketing, promotion, gala, make it a spectacle, make it worth dialing in. When you got guys like Crawford or Frank Sanchez who just stink up the joint, or I'm not talking in the ring, I'm talking their lack of promotional ability. They, they can't sell a fight, they have no personality, can't sell a family dinner, uh, as Spence would say. Those kind of guys, okay, then you put them on the co-mains or the unders, right? Because they can't sell it by themselves. But you got somebody like War Chisora, he sells the freaking fight every time, every single time. Tyson Fury sells the fight every single time. Some guys are just good at selling the fight. Nobody's going to dial in to see Regis Progress. He's, he's a great fighter. I'm a fan of him, but he's boring. 
Okay. He's boring outside of the ring. We're not talking in the ring yet. We're talking, promoting, building, developing, getting people to buy in. I think if you get back to stacking the cards properly, I think you can get to a world where, yes, we can see a pay-per-view price is warranted because the event is so that is just that much good. Remember, Wilder and Fury 3 was a pay-per-view. And by and large, I think that fight by itself stood very well to justify the price, but that's heavyweight. That's Wilder and Fury. We're not talking Regis Progress and Josh Taylor, as an example, or you know Crawford versus Cavalaskis. We're talking at the upper level of a thing. Two top-tier fighters. You don't really know what the outcome is going to be. There's this spectacle around it. They both can promote it. Everything falls into place, so then you can justify it, so then... You, you know, you get stunk out by boring ass Frank Sanchez and the co-main, but other than that, it was solid top to bottom. So I, I think the pay-per-view thing, I think it's just the reality. I like it personally. I just think part of the, part of the reason people are so against it is that the card, the total card is, has never warranted doing a pay-per-view because it's nowhere near what it used to be in the era of pay-per-view. And I also think, Services like a WWE network now on the Peacock nonsense have diluted, they've diluted their brand. They diluted the product because they don't know how to appeal to people because they don't know how to put on compelling shows. And in the boxing, you don't have standout characters. You just have guys who want to be a champion, but there's nowhere near that level of excitement that we used to have with fighters, with characters. Lennox Lewis had a unique character for Larry Holmes, who had a unique character for Mike Tyson, unique character for Mitch Blood Green, unique character for Riddick Bowe, unique character from Andrew Galata, on and on and on. The corner people had characters. Roger Mayweather had a character. Floyd Mayweather Sr. had a character. The refs had freaking characters. Larry Mills Lane. Like, we had characters and they stood out. We, we have some of it, but nowhere near what we used to. And that means that people can't justify paying above these commodity rates for these streaming type services. And the result is we get crap on the back end. And then people complain that they got crap. Well, you got what you paid for because we diluted the product. And I think we need to get back to figuring out how to get solid cards, which means that we need to have certain people who are not draws. They don't draw money, keep them off pay-per-view and they have to be realistic about their pay. Even if they are a side in the fight, they're just not draws. And until they're willing to be draws, they don't get paid more money. And they get a percentage of the draw, which should encourage them to do their own promotion. And if they're not willing to promote, it is what it is. So like something like everybody gets a flat 1 million, period, and then a percentage of the draw. And the percentage is what varies, whether you're A side or B side, but it's a percentage of how much you draw in tickets and in, you know, dial, you know, watching on TV. So maybe something like that where now... It's on the fighter. If you're cool taking a million and walking away and you made an extra $100,000 and that's it and that's all you care, cool. Then this other fighter over here, you know, Jean Pascal, and he's promoting it and he's selling it and he's pulling people in the seats, then he gets a bigger percentage because he sold it. And that's our A, B side. I don't know, something like that. Anyhow, let's get into our schedule for this weekend starting today. And this is in the UK, so it probably either already happened or will happen here shortly, I'm assuming. Um, this is MTK. This is supposed to be Danny Dinium. I'm pretty sure it's Dinium versus Grant Dennis. This is supposed to be today in ESPN+. Plus. It's going to be broadcast in the United States on ESPN+, Plus, but it's out in the UK in, I think it's London. I think they changed venue, but I think it's London, the York Hall. Um, I don't know anything about these guys. Um, either of these guys have not followed 
either of them. The only thing I know is that um, Dinium fought uh, Andre Srotkin, and I'm somewhat familiar with Andre Srotkin. Don't rate him that much. Um, I don't know. I can't tell you that this is a good or exciting or anything type fight. All I can tell you is it's a fight, and that's happening allegedly today on ESPN+. Plus, and it's in the York Hall if you're out there local in the London area. The one I want to focus on the most is tomorrow, the return of Danny Jacobs. And Danny Jacobs, of course, is going to be fighting at 168. Danny Jacobs, for the most most of his career, has fought at 160. And so going to 168 is going to be a little bit of a shift for him. However, Danny Jacobs, you know, when he fought Gabe Rosado, and for those that don't know or remember, there used to be an organization called Big Knockouts Boxing. It was a little, it was a short-term thing, but the whole gimmick, was it's instead of a ring with ropes, you're in kind of this not octagon, hexagon type thing, but it's an open pit. And it the whole goal was you need to get knockouts. And so they had shifting in the gloves, shifting in the rules. It was a whole different thing. And it was exciting for what it was, I thought. Well, Gabe Rosado, he had jumped over to this dude and then he won a championship and I believe it was a middleweight. He, he I don't think he ever defended it and he never lost it. And then big knockouts boxing never officially dissolved. They just disappeared. So he's essentially the longest reigning big knockouts boxing undefeated champion. So I always look at, okay. So then Gabe Rosado, of course, he's the one that knocked out bully Bechtemir. If you don't remember, he's also the one that exposed, I'm pretty sure it was Clotty. And so then he fights Danny Jacobs and Danny Jacobs, for whatever reason, couldn't get it out. He couldn't get it out against Gabe Rosado. I think he got the win but he couldn't get it out as far as a performance. It wasn't stylistically like people expected Danny Jacobs to make easy work of somebody like Gabe Rosado because Gabe Rosado, although he's a rugged, tough, strong fighter, Danny Jacobs, just from a stylistic brilliance perspective, far superior. And yet he was not able to really impress in that one. So now he's fighting John Ryder. John Ryder is nothing special. Of course, anybody knows this, he's not really that much of a special fighter. And so it's a, it's a bit of a step down for Danny Jacobs somewhat of a soft touch, and it should be a stylistically brilliant performance for Danny Jacobs. If we're honest with ourselves, we should not see the same level of meh that we saw from him against Gabe Rosado against somebody like John Ryder. That's not to dismiss John Ryder as a fighter, but we need to be honest with ourselves. John Ryder by and large is a regional type fighter. I wouldn't call him a journeyman because that's not fair, but he's a regional type fighter. He's lost to the B tier of the division. And he's faced, you know, he's got a decent resume as far as he's faced a who's who in the division that he's been fighting, which is mostly at the middleweight tier. And then he went to super middleweight uh, later in his career. I think it was like five years ago, he went to super middleweight, but he's, he's like right at that middle. He's not upper guy. He's, I don't consider him a threat. That said, it's not that he's not stylistically, you know, good or strong or any of that, but there's levels to it. So I would consider him a pretty decent B-level, regional. He's fought world, but I consider regional level in his style. That's kind of what I'm talking about. So now with, with what I see in this Danny Jacobs, John Ryder, my expectation is Danny Jacobs should walk right through the guy. If we see that Danny Jacobs struggles with him, which is possible, but if we see Danny Jacobs struggle with him, it might mean that something's wrong with Jacobs and he's I don't want to say on the decline because that's not fair, but perhaps either something's going wrong with his training or something with the camp or, you know, age, but he's not crazy old, but he's certainly up there. You know, he's not anywhere close. And we 
people look and they say, well, yeah, but you know, he blew out Chavez Jr. Well, that's not that notable. And that happened a long time ago. So I'm just saying, I, I, I don't think something's off with Jacobs. I guess he, there was people that felt like, you know, he should have beat Golovkin, but let's be honest, you know, Jacobs, there was weight issues on that fight. So we can't, we don't know what happened there. And there never was a rematch. Regardless of what you felt, Golovkin got his hand raised. And then Salaki, there was no, we were totally not impressed with Jacobs against Salaki. We were middling with Jacobs against Derevichenko, but Derevichenko is, he seems to be stylistically a problem for just about everybody. And then, of course, Jacobs fights Canelo. That was close, but I felt like Canelo was clearly the winner in that one, from my opinion. So I'm not dismissing Jacobs' opponent. Like, I want to be clear, it's not about Jacobs' opponent. It's about Jacobs compared to that guy. I don't see that Jacob should struggle with John Ryder at all. And if he does, it may indicate something's wrong or he's on the steep decline where he may be on the way out for whatever reason, or it, you know, he had a bad night or bad training or something else, just something. It wouldn't make any sense to me personally to see him struggle with somebody like this, I guess is kind of the summary thoughts there. So that's our night of boxing tomorrow. And that's going to be on the zone. That's in London as well. Alexandra Palace. That's where it's scheduled. Um, weight didn't seem to be a problem for either guy. So that's always a good sign. We don't want to see that. And we don't want to see if there's any kind of COVID thing. But of course, there's, you know, with the lightning of the mask requirements and everything else, let's hope that this heralds kind of a return to a normal state and normalcy with respect to boxing because it has, it has cost people a lot of fights in the past. And that's all we got. And like I said, it's nowhere near, nowhere near as exciting as last week's fight. Um, last week's was just a crazy event, crazy event. So there's, I would say this event, the undercard might be, might show us something, might be a little bit enticing. Um, Phoenix Cash, that's one that I named that I saw. Um, I know he's been up and coming. He's been somebody people had eyes on. Most of the other undercards I have no awareness of and don't really follow those. The one I see is Danny Jacobs and where he's at as a fighter. Is he still a contender? I would say no, from my perception. Is John Ryder going to be a contender? I would say no. That's just based on what I've seen of him. I could be way off and he could go in there and he could shock me and shock the world. From that point, I think, you know, Boxing is going to suffer in terms of worthwhile fights, from my opinion, until we get to March. So that doesn't mean that we're not having fights. We are, but I don't think many of them are worth the time or the price of admission. Generally speaking, people call out Josh Taylor. I mean, yeah, but because it's a, you know, it's a, it's a fight for the unified, but at junior, but we know that Taylor's talked about moving up. We know that Taylor's talked about challenging Crawford. We know that Taylor's, distracted so i'm less excited about it because it's one of those where he feels he's not focusing on the guy in front of him which i think is a mistake same thing happened with tiafimo and then jaime munguia of course he's in action that's going to be next week i believe it is and then of course con versus brook con versus brook geez that one's so much out of date it's just been so long since they initially started beefing yeah it's a fight that it's going to draw and it's going to be people dialing in on it I don't know that it's going to really, like they're talking, I'm going to knock him out, I'm going to do this. I, I, I expect it goes the distance, and I expect him to hug after the fight. 
you know, because that seems like what fighters do, which drives me nuts. Um, I think the beef is manufactured at this point. I think they're too old for it. And I think they're doing it to sell the fight because they realized that they waited too dang long to do that. So I'm not too excited about that one at, out in Manchester, but it's going to draw because it's Manchester and it's those two. And it's been such a build. Um, Jaime Munguia, he'll draw on his own. That's in his own. I'm not excited about it because it's whatever. Like I said, Taylor, he seems like he's overlooking his opponent. Not excited about that one. Uh, Akoli, I, I think he's overrated. He's a cruiserweight. I think he's overrated, in my opinion. Uh, Jose Ramirez and Jose Pedraza might be interesting only because of Ramirez. Uh, I don't rate Pedraza nearly as much as he might have been warranted. And it's not that he's not a solid fighter. I just don't rate him personally. I think he's, you know, down at the B level. I don't think that he, I think he got hype primarily because of his fights with Loma and Tank. And uh, so it's like he's, he's elevated because of who he was beaten by rather than him on his own, if that makes any sense. Chocolatito and Julio Cesar Martinez. That one's exciting, but that starts the March. And that's what I'm talking about. There you got freaking Chocolatito coming back. Uh, Julio Cesar Martinez, who has a chance to shock Savannah Marshall for the women's fans. Virgil Ortiz is back in action. Uh, Bum Langa, we get to see him tested against a guy uh, that that didn't test Golovkin and Steve Rolls. So that if he can't get past a guy that didn't test Golovkin, it's like, you know, uh, Jamil Charlo is supposed to come back against Brian Castaño and people rate Castaño and he's one of those durable fighters. I don't rate him. But I do rate Jermel Charlo. I think he's the more stylistically brilliant of the two brothers, for my opinion. And, of course, that one's for the um, undisputed at junior middleweight. So that's worth it. Kiko Martinez, I think that's a good one. And then once you get into April, then you start getting into the real nuts and bolts of of excitement. Because you got uh, Spence versus Ugas, which is officially signed for April 16th out in Texas. Of course, Texas, because that's Spence's home. And... That's going to be a pay-per-view guaranteed. It's expected to be Showtime pay-per-view. I'm looking forward to that one. Paul Butler's coming back in April. Katie Taylor's coming back in April. Amanda Serrano's coming back in April. So the early part of the year is kind of a drought just a little bit, except for February that's got some pretty exciting fights. March has some really exciting fights. And then April seems like it ramps it up. And then, of course, we still don't have an answer as to who Canelo's going to fight. The current names bantied about is Jamal Charlo. And uh, Benavides, David Benavides. So this would be PBC putting that on, or Baval and Golovkin. And of course, that's on the zone side. And then the, of course, Canelo, he's not really committing to long term or multi fight deals because it doesn't behoove him to do that. He's going to fight whoever he fights. So part of the chatter is well, why doesn't Canelo just, you know, fight one guy here and then one guy here and one guy there and one guy there? And it, the, the beauty of Canelo's position is he doesn't have to give a damn about what anybody says. He can do whatever he wants to do and he's going to draw and he's going to get really what he wants at the end of the day, which is the payday that he really demands. So I envy his position in such demand from the audience that we want you da, 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 and it's just going to be whatever it's going to be. So we don't know it. We don't have an opponent. We just believe it's going to be Jamal Charlo or it would end up being Golovkin for a third, but it could also be Baval up front. So theoretically, it looks like he might have abandoned, you know, Makabu as a as an option and then instead going a different way, which I, I covered as a potential based on the performance from Makabu. 
uh, recently that he might go a different way. And then at that point, we have some options and see which way he would go. So check that episode out as well, because I did kind of break that down to what I thought he might end up doing as opposed to Makabu. In that update, we speculated that Joe Smith Jr. actually makes the most sense initially um, if he were trying to kind of tiptoe into 175 and toy with getting another belt. Um, but there's, you know, Bival is kind of the chatter, and so he might go where the money is because Smith Jr., I don't think would bring the same level of money as a Bival just because of marketing hype. Bival has a, a hype around him um, in some ways unreasonable. And, of course, the downside is that if he does go after Bival and he goes in there and wrecks him, then people will accuse him of PEDs or that Bival was washed or Canelo waited too long or some other excuse. Like, at some point, we have to kind of recognize the dude as the king. And I, I got flack on Reddit, actually, because I called him the king. And people are like, why you got to call him the king? Deep, deep, deep. Because he's proven that he's the king. He is the king right now. He is the pound-for-pound pound king. He has beaten guys that others have said would beat him. He's gone out and he's done it. People did say, at a point, Callum Smith would be a nightmare for Canelo and Callum Smith would beat him. Did not happen. People at one point said Smith Saunders has a chance to beat Canelo. Did not happen. People said Rocky Fielding would be a threat. Didn't say beat him, said a threat. But point is, walked right, walked right through him. Walked right through the dude. People said Cove is a boogeyman. Walked right through him. So we can't, at some point, we got to recognize the king. That's what he is right now. Will that continue to be the case? I think his going up and down creates a risk, as Roy Jones learned the hard way. But for whatever reason, he's able to pull it off, and he's able to get these wins, and he's collecting belts, and he's creating a legacy. And regardless of what the boxing community says, he's doing what he said he was going to do, which is to create legacy and set records and make history, and that's what he's done. He is the king. He calls the shots. Whatever, Whoever wants him in the ring, they got to meet his terms, not the other way around. And that's an enviable position. Like, literally, even if he wanted to, he could go and fight at cruiserweight or heavyweight for whatever, and they're still going to need to bow down to him, even if they're the champion. Like, that's unheard of. Even Floyd hasn't had that level of influence over the business to this degree as Canelo has been able to do right now, considering that, to date, nobody's beaten Canelo other than Floyd Mayweather. So some people said then that, you know, Golovkin shouldn't get a third crack at it. I disagree because it would be a rubber match. The first fight was a draw. Whether you thought it was a draw, truly a draw or not, it was a draw on the cards. If I recall, and it's been a while, but if I recall, I'm pretty sure that I had Golovkin barely winning the fight, the first fight. However, I had Canelo clearly winning the second fight because Canelo was walking the man down Mexican style. He literally went in there off the taunts and did what he said he was going to do. On the second fight, I didn't think it was close, but it was clear. It was not, to me, this robbery that other people thought it was, just because they're reacting to Golovkin running out of the ring crying. No, I, I felt that Canelo won the second fight clearly. Golovkin barely edged the first fight. Like, Canelo didn't fight the way he should have in the first fight. In the second fight, he arguably did. Golovkin was just not going anywhere, but Canelo was still walking the man down all night long. So, to me, it's a rubber match. To me, we should have a third fight to really determine... Was there a fluke here in that first fight? I argue, if you ask me, I argue that Canelo stops Golovkin if they fight a third time. Not just because of Golovkin's age, but I think Canelo, he's refining how he punches. He's refining how his striking works. He's not 
as wide. Like if you go back to his second fight against Golovkin, he did tend to be a little bit wide with his punches and that took power off the shots. Whereas he's sitting down on stuff way more um, in recent years. I've, I've been very impressed with the way that he's throwing much more solid rock solid. So I don't think we're going to see that same sequence. And I don't remember if it was the first fight or the second, it might've been the first. There's a, a gif floating around Jeff, sorry, floating around the web where Golovkin's coming forward and he's, he's got a guard up, but he's not fully guarding the head. And then Canelo just throws a straight haymaker right on the chin. Golovkin eats the, eats it and just keeps walking forward. And Canelo's still slightly on the back foot. I don't think you're going to see something like that. If they go up again, I don't think you're going to see that. Because remember, Derevchenko had Golovkin on stanky land for a brief minute off a body shot. He was about to go down and Harvey Doc held him up. So we know that there's Golovkin can be hurt now. And the version of Canelo I see now, he's still in his prime. He's still, and he seems to be getting stronger and he seems to be punching stronger and he seems to be improving his craft. So I, I honestly think if they fight a third time, he stops Golovkin. Could I get it wrong? Absolutely. I hope I'm wrong. I hope that it's a, a stylistically toe-to-toe fight because it's, again, one of those that on paper, Canelo should blow him out, but Golovkin, for whatever reason, has been durable. However, he's been declining recently. We see that. So I think if he does go the Bavol-Golovkin route, I think Bavol is a stinker of a fight. I think Canelo outboxes him soundly. I think Canelo possibly stops him. And when I say stop him, I mean the whole Tony Weeks versus Angulo type crap where, you know, Bavall is just eating shots because that's just how he is. He doesn't really, he's not defensively strong as I would like him to be. And then ref just jumps in there and stops it because he's eating punches. I think it's some kind of crap like that. I don't think it's that Canelo would be excessively dominant other than Bavall just can't touch this dude. So I think that's a stinker. I think people screaming for that fight don't know what they're asking for. As far as Golovkin, like I said, I think Canelo stops him. As far as Jamal Charlo, that one's an interesting one because Jamal Charlo, he's stylistically brilliant to me, but he has significant flaws in the brilliance, in the middle of the brilliance. To me, the way I see that fight going is Jamal catches Canelo with something. I don't think Canelo goes down, but I think he gets in trouble, and then Canelo pulls something out of his hat, and then Jamal gets upset. That's the way I predict that one going meaning that I don't think it'll be clear that Canelo blows him out of the water. I don't think that Jamal is going to blow Canelo out of the water. I think Jamal is going to put Canelo in trouble and Canelo is going to come back and catch Jamal with something you didn't see. And then that ends the fight. However it ends stoppage knockout. I don't know because it's hard to tell my opinion. David Benavides don't rate him. I'm not saying he's a bad fighter. I'm saying I don't rate him. I think Canelo washes him completely washes him. I think it's a waste of a fight. So if I'm looking at the two sides now, it's this interesting dynamic because really the only two fights that I think are worth anybody's time is Jamal Charlo and Golovkin. And both those fights could happen at 168. So great, let's do that. I I don't I personally think those are the fights to do. If I had my choice, me personally, I would say Jamal Charlo only because it's new. It, it's something different and it's not outside of Canelo's element. And it's where Canelo still holds belts. Like, I think it's, it, it fits all the things. It, it, the pieces still work for me, as opposed to going to 175, fight Boval in a stinker, which I think is a stinker, and then have NSB and others criticize him because he went after somebody weak when the truth is Boval's being overhyped now and he just went after the hype. I, I don't think it does anything for him. 
and then Golovkin gets older, and then Jamal might take a loss in the interim. I, if you ask me, I would say go after Jamal Charlo, and that's a very exciting fight to make. Jamal Charlo will sell that fight. Canelo will sell that fight. It's going to draw huge. That one's worth a pay-per-view to me. And then just stack the undercard, put David Benavides on there against somebody else to earn the next shot in line as opposed to granting him a guaranteed crack at the champ. How about David Benavides fight somebody else to earn that shot? I would be okay with that. I think that's perfectly fine. How about David Benavides and Golovkin fight? That'd be cool. Of course, Golovkin would still come up to 168, but who cares? I think that's the, that's the stance you take assuming PVC and DAZN can work together on the broadcast rights, you know, because that's going to be a broadcast issue because you're talking a streaming platform versus a pay-per-view or Golovkin signs, figures out how to get out of their deal and signs a one fight deal on PVC to make that fight happen somehow to where you can get Golovkin in the mix to earn a shot at the of the champ. Same with the David Benavides earn a shot at the champ. I want to see that happen as the undercard to strengthen the undercard. Cause right now, if you just tossed out Canelo and Jamal, it is going to sell. But if you have a crap undercard, I don't think that's the right answer either. So it's a very interesting situation with the, the champ and the King. I don't know where that's going to go. And then I'll wrap up with just one other note, which I is not directly relevant to the, the events, the recent events, but it does. Uh, it's something I covered before with uh, Floyd Mayweather. The allegedly the fight with money kicks is off. Uh, don't have any specifics as to what the heck happened. It doesn't surprise me though. Uh, but apparently the fight is off and is not going to happen. And, but Floyd is still planning to fight in uh, Dubai. So he's allegedly going to fight something different. He's going to fight somebody else. Uh, this had started, this started training camp so that they had gone into training camps and there were reports that Floyd is going hard in training for this, like more than he did against tension, more than he did against McGregor, more than he did against Logan, which doesn't make any sense because money kicks is not a fighter at all. Uh, you know, Amir Khan is allied with the guy and was saying, no, he's, he's coming hard. He's going to do this. Da, 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 da. So at this point, we don't really know what's going to happen with Floyd and what's, what's he going to do or how is he going to do it? Uh, but we do think that there's something to this money kicks business and Dubai with Floyd and the money's got to be huge for him to even consider doing this. Cause Floyd even said, you know, I'm, I'm done with exhibitions. I'm probably not going to do any more after the Logan Paul situation where he was taking the distance, even though I argue that, you know, Floyd washed him on the decision. So let's see what happens, but right now it's not going to be money kicks. That's what we know. And it will be, um, Floyd's still fighting in Dubai, but we know nothing else beyond this. That's all I got for our weekend of boxing. Tune in next week as I'll do more coverage for the more exciting fights when they come up. And, you know, one thing to keep in mind with boxing in general in the future, as we start opening up with COVID and everything and pay-per-views and this whole thing, we, we take for granted that boxing, boxing's always been there. It was there before MMA, what we currently know of MMA. It's always going to be here. It's not going anywhere. And people who talk boxing, there's a lot of people who like to talk boxing. We're, we're all over the place. At the end of the day, though, everybody's got their opinion. And there's nothing wrong with it as long as we can back up our opinion with something. 
I think where it gets to be an issue is where people can't, they just toss an opinion with nothing, no foundations behind it or no solid foundations. What we know of the boxing business, the business is they're prize fighters. They fight for prizes. They fight for money. At the end of the day, they fight for money. Sometimes they fight for belts, but they only fight for belts because they know the belts should bring money. So when we criticize certain fighters for holding out or A side, B side or whatever it is, we have to put ourselves in those shoes. If you were in that man or female shoes, you would do the same thing because you're a prize fighter. Your, your goal, your whole purpose is to fight for a prize. It's not that Tyson himself even said on hot boxing that it's not the same gladiator that you might think it is. Your goal is to try to find a weakness to get him out of there. But ultimately you're a prize fighter. Everybody would say that that's in the business. Now, when we look at that, we say, yep, it's, that's what it is. It's prize fighting. We can't criticize the pay, the pay that's being requested by many of the fighters when those fighters are warranting that draw. If they're pulling money in, if they're causing people to show up, if they've got enough in their endorsements and their exposure in the mainstream that they're the ones filling those seats, they have every right to ask for pay and you would do the same thing. Where it gets to be a problem is guys who can't sell out their local place like in Omaha, they can't even sell out their hometown but they're asking and, and in some cases getting 3 million, 4 million, 6 million paydays where the people aren't there and it's not warranted. We should criticize that. Not because we like the fighter. That's nothing to do with it. But think about it. When we do that, we're harming the business. When we celebrate those fighters demanding high paydays when they don't draw tickets, we're hurting the business. It's not about the pay itself. It's about fighters who don't deserve it. I'm sorry, Terrence Crawford by himself doesn't deserve 3 million, 4 million, 6 million paydays because he doesn't draw like that. Devin Haney doesn't draw like that. Tank Davis does. Errol Spence does. It just is what it is. Andre doesn't draw like that at all. Golovkin does. Oh, so let's look at the draw and their ability to get asses in seats. And we should look at those fighters and say their demands are fair. And other guys who don't draw like that need to come down off their high horse. The reason I'm talking about that now, this whole business with Tyson Fury versus Dillian White that's being negotiated and apparently it's waiting a contract signature at this point. And of course, Dillian White is a mandatory for WBC. Dillian White is en route to make his biggest payday in a long time, I think ever, with Tyson Fury. There's a lot of money on the table. Why would you not sign it? We expect that he'll try to pull some A-side stuff and say he doesn't want the 80-20 split. But the thing is, even at 20%, it's still your highest payday. And you don't draw tickets without Tyson Fury in that ring. If you were to fight somebody else, you're not going to draw those tickets. If you fought all-in Volin, you're not going to pull that many people in the seats. I'm sorry, Dillian, it's not going to work. So I'm saying that some fighters have to be realistic about their level of draw and the money they would demand until they get to that point. That means you've got to be you got to accept your B-side status to make these fights happen. It's not that the people are afraid of you. They want the money to make sense because they're prize fighters. They're all prize fighters. So this business of Sean Porter, who I applaud for saying that Boots is overrated, and he really meant overhyped, but it's still the same. It's the truth is people are rating Boots higher than he's proven. That's the fact. That's true. People saying, well, you can't get to fight deep, deep, deep. Well, there's a, there's a process. As a prize fighter, you have to earn that. You can't just jump to the front of the line. We saw this with Carlos Ocampo. He had fought Spence 
Spence was still on a come up himself, but Carlos Ocampo has been on a streak and he's been doing good stuff, but he's, he's earning, he's working his way to getting into that shot. Somebody like Connor Ben is basically feasting off the name. So it's not really that he earned it, but then he fought a couple of guys that were notable, including Chris Algieri. And so now he's got that exposure to be able to start calling up shots boots. He has to start stepping up in fights. He may not really want, but to position himself to get those shots. So now I believe he's a mandatory and I think it's IBF for Spence. Now he's a mandatory for these titles, or at least one of them. Keep doing your thing. Keep getting the wins. Keep getting noticed. And at some point, get your hands on a belt. And at some point, those opportunities will happen, even if it's not the current crop that's in the, in the way. We might see Spence and or Crawford and or Ugas lead the division. We might see Keith Thurman lead the division. Who cares if you don't fight them? The point should be yourself and what you need to do in order to get your status as a fighter, as a draw, up to a certain threshold. That's what Canelo had to do. Canelo took a loss to the best to ever do it. And then he fought He fought who was in front of him, basically, until he was able to draw on his own. He was always a draw, but never to the degree like now. He had to build that with the performances that he did. And being in the ring against guys that sometimes he didn't really want to fight. I'm sure he didn't want to fight a lot of those guys, but he had to do it. Either they were mandatories or he had to do it to just kind of keep keep that momentum going. That's what Boots needs to do. So if we look at Boots' age, right, and the number of fights he has, we know he's slipping. He's not fighting as much as he needs to. He's not getting in the ring as much as he needs to. He's not getting the exposure he needs to. And that's not Spence's fault or Crawford's fault or Ugas's fault or Thurman's fault or Porter's fault. Right now, he's not been tested. He'll be tested at some point, hopefully. It doesn't matter if it's against Spencer Crawford or Ugas or Thurman or Porter. It's just at some point he needs to be tested at some level. Let's get those fights happening. Let's have him fight some other guys that are not necessarily belt holders until he gets that opportunity. Whether it's a, a, you know, a voluntary or a vacant or something else, it doesn't matter. I'm just saying it's still early. It's basically prospects still. And it'll happen. It just takes time. I mean, geez, even Sebastian Fumella eventually got a shot. And it was an eliminator, but the point is he eventually got a shot for the IBO and then got a shot against Porter for the eliminator. So it happens for every fighter, but it takes time. People criticize Porter for taking the Formella fight instead of boots. The truth is Formella was an IBO champion. People didn't realize that, but he was an IBO champion. The belt wasn't on the line because it was an eliminator for the WBC mandatory. So spent, you know, that was basically, look, this makes sense. We want to go ahead and do this and make this happen. I don't see any problem with it. And at the end of the day, I think Formella came out of that stronger because he did such a good performance in surviving that much, that well against Porter. Then he goes against Conor Ben, and Conor Ben can't drop the dude. Now, I don't know what happened to Formella since, but the point is, it wasn't like, you know, Formella got the exposure to that audience that we're trying to see somebody new in the division. So I think that's where Boots needs to position himself is against somebody that's tough, but not necessarily at the top, who can give him more exposure. And I know that there were chat about different fighters that have been or still are, like people like Robert Guerrero. People were like, why are you trying to fight Guerrero? I think it was, that was Conor Ben. Maybe test somebody with somebody like that that's he's a little bit older, but he's still durable. He's still strong. He's still there. Or somebody else that still wants to fight and they're willing to take a lesser payday just to get in the ring, just so he can get that exposure in front of fans that know who these guys are. Ignore the criticism for social media, and Boots is good about this. Ignore the social, the criticism of he's old, do, do, do. who cares, because your job is to get exposure so that you can position yourself for those fights in the future. That's it, guys. Again, feel free to like, subscribe, share. 
comment below. I want the smoke. I like to talk it. So it is what it is. I have no shame about any of the opinions that I share on this. I accept people don't share them. All I say is come at it respectfully. Don't come at it like a child. Come at it respectfully. We can talk boxing and we can agree to disagree. That's the whole point.